I love it when people go public for Jesus. Good morning, family. I'm, uh, I'm excited about what I feel the Lord doing in, in our church right now. And I, um, I had a, we're talking, uh, we've been doing this series called Power, and today we're talking the power of a faith-filled expectation. We're going to talk about that. But about three, a little over three weeks ago, I had this, um, word from the Lord. I was kind of in a deep prayer time, and um, and I felt like the Lord spoke to me and said that He was going to start doing miracles during during our worship time. And I know that can even sound, um, I don't know. Um, okay, yeah, you know, God can do miracles. We 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 kind of already believe that. But it was one of those things where the Lord was wanting to give us expectation. Because it's not that I don't believe God desired to do miracles prior to him saying that. Right? I mean, don't you kind of know that God can do miracles anytime? And when we come to him and we worship, um, it's probably more likely during those seasons and times that God does supernatural things. But... I do feel like it is an expectation element that when we come with expectation of God's supernatural work, it's when we do that, there is a much higher likelihood that there's going to be a supernatural work done in our life. And so um, today, what we're talking about, I hope, will give you that expectation. I hope that you'll... That, that if, if nothing else, that, you know, this, our, our time our, as we study the word of God today. Um, we're going to look at two portions of scripture that have a high level of information about faith. And there's a lot of places in the Bible, of course, that talk about faith. And, but these give us some information about faith that, and the power of faith that I think um, are combined in one, in, in a short uh, portion of scripture uh, as much as any, anywhere else. So, and so I'm going to have you turn. How many of you have a um, hard copy Bible with you? Okay. How many? And then how many of you have a digital form? iPad, iPhone? Okay. Um, the digital form wins. <coughs> it is becoming more and more of that. Um, and both are good as long as you have the Bible. And you can turn one way or the other to uh, Mark chapter 6 and Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 6 and Mark chapter 5. We're going to be in Mark chapter 6 first. And then we're going to go to Mark chapter 5. And Father, I ask that you would help us to understand, Lord, the power of faith as you say it in Jesus' name. Mark chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 4, but let me give you a little bit of the background. Jesus goes to his hometown. Um, Jesus, you know, Jesus grew up, you know where Jesus grew up? He, he grew up in Capernaum. And um, Capernaum 
was his hometown. In fact, we actually, when we go to Israel, we go to um, the, the home of Jesus. And for years, as I've, you know, gone on trips to Capernaum, we would always go to Peter's house. But what we didn't know till recent archaeological findings is that Peter's house, before it was Peter's house, was Jesus' house. And they have recently found out. In fact, we have a, 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 a kind of a photo of, of that. Since then, they, they put a whole thing over it. This photo is an older photo. But um, these are the kind of foundational stones to the, the house that Jesus lived in. And when they did some deeper excavation, they found the actual first home, and then this was built on top of it, and then they had a church that, that met there for years, you know, for probably uh, nearly, you know, 200 years there, there would be, would have been that, and then founded later on. So, but this is that community, the home that Jesus, thank you. Um, so Jesus goes to his hometown, and on the Sabbath, he goes in to teach in the synagogue, which was common practice for Jesus. And when he's teaching, the people there know him, right? He grew up in the town. So there are people sitting there in the synagogue that knew him as a little boy. Some of them played with him when he was a little boy. Some of them were parents that saw him as he was a little boy. And so as he's teaching, they're going... Where did he get such wisdom? And then the conversation goes from where did he get so smart kind of thing to um, how did he do all these miracles that they're talking about? Now, they have not seen all the miracles. They've seen some things happen, but they haven't seen all the miracles. But as Jesus has gone out, of course, traveling throughout Israel, I mean, he's done everywhere he goes, miracles, 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 and so now he's back in his hometown. And so they're saying, you know, how did he get all this? And then they st- it, the conversation turns to, to, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary? I mean, we know this kid, right? And, you know, we, we remember that snotty-nosed kid. Of course, Jesus probably never had a snotty nose, but... You know, but we remember the troublemaker, but, okay, Jesus probably was never a troublemaker, but they knew the kid, right? And, and, they, and they say, isn't, those, isn't he the brother of, and they name him, James and Joseph and Judas and Simon and, and his sisters also. And it says, and they were offended at him. They were offended at him. They didn't believe And then Mark in verse 4 says, But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. He's quoting from the Old Testament, but he's making a statement. You know, in your own family, um, you know, it's kind of like, don't get spiritual with me. You know, I know who you are. And for those of you who became Christians before your parents did, you know, some of you are in that stage right now where maybe you became a Christian and your parents aren't Christians yet, and they go, well, 
don't tell us, right? Don't tell me what uh, all about this. I know. I know you. I know who you are. And you try to tell them about the Lord and all, but they're not listening to you. They're probably going to need to listen from somebody else. They will watch you, but you're going to have a hard time convincing them it's going to take a while. I know that experience. I had that experience. And for me, that experience was, um, it, it, it became very confrontational. And I had to learn to, to kind of back up. I'm, you know, I'm just a son or, you know, in that case. And, uh, but God has his way of working through that. But the point here is this. It says, he, he goes on to say in verse 5, now he could not do, he could do no mighty work there. He could not, he could do no mighty, he could do no mighty work. He couldn't do any work. He couldn't do any miracles. Only a few. Now you never think about Jesus not being able to do any mighty works or not being able to do any miracles. But he couldn't. Can't? Not that he wouldn't, not that he didn't want to, but that he couldn't. And that's important. You can't just pass by that. Jesus in his own community where they did not have faith couldn't do much. So this is saying that Jesus relied upon, in many cases, not all, in many cases, the faith of others for him to do a miracle. Is it possible that our lack of faith is blocking God from doing supernatural things in our life? says, and he, he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them, a few. Where everywhere else he goes, everybody, everybody got healed. Everybody in the, in the town that came to Jesus got healed. He laid hands on everybody that was sick and they all got healed. He comes to this place and only a few people anything happens to. And it says this, he marveled because of their unbelief. Jesus just kind of shakes his head. I think he shakes his head at our unbelief. And what? What's your faith? So it says that he went about. Now, go a chapter earlier in chapter five with me here. <clears throat> and I'm gonna talk, we're gonna I'm gonna show you two. Two miracles that really kind of explain the element of faith to us and the, the, way, in the way in which miracles oftentimes happen in our lives. Um, verse 21, it says, When Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he, he, was, he was by the sea, and behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands upon her, on her that she may be healed. Now, Jairus' faith that was 
that if Jesus laid hands on his daughter, his daughter would be healed. He must have seen it. It was in operation. Now, what we know about Jairus, he was an influential guy. He's an important guy. He's one of the leaders of the synagogue. But we also know that Jesus had been to that synagogue before and was healing a man on the Sabbath, and the leaders of the synagogue rose up and confronted Jesus, and they went against Jesus because he was healing on the Sabbath. They had their own personal um, doctrinal view of what could happen on the Sabbath or not. And they held to that to the place that they would not, they, they didn't even, they, they believed Jesus was not of a God because he would heal on the Sabbath. You know, which was a ridiculous interpretation of what it means to honor the Sabbath. But that's what they believed. And Jairus might have been one of those who was confronting Jesus about healing on the Sabbath. But now his daughter is dying. And all his little doctrinal, you know, all those little doctrinal things that are not truly essential, they're out the door. Because he needs Jesus. And Jesus is the only one who can heal his daughter. So he comes to Jesus and he asks Jesus to, um, to come to his house and lay hands on his daughter. So Jesus went with him. And the great multitude followed him and thronged him. There's this throng that's, that, that the text keeps saying. There's this throng of people. Because there's all kinds of people wanting to get as close as they can to Jesus. I, you know... I don't know how he handled it. For me, it's like, hey, give me some space, you know? Don't, don't you, aren't you that? You know, give me a little space. Get, get out of my face. But they're all wanting to get to Jesus. And he seems to be okay with that. So Jairus is really important. But a woman interrupts Jesus' journey. Jesus is on his way to do a miracle, to go to Jairus' house to somebody special, and a nobody interrupts Jesus. And I think Jesus would say, please interrupt me. By the response and by what happens. Now it says a certain woman, and all the text, she's in, um, this story is found in three of the four Gospels. And, <coughs> excuse me, and it says a certain, we don't know her name. She's just a certain woman. She, she's known by her problem. She's a woman with the issue of blood. I mean, you got to have a pretty big problem that you're known by your problem. Your, your problem identifies you. This is a woman with the issue of blood. Oh, yeah, I know who she is. You know, that's, that's the way it is. We, when we read the text, we never find out her name. We don't know her name. She's a no-name and on purpose because you don't have to be important for God to pay attention to you, for God to do a miracle in your life. You do not have to be important. Jairus is important. It is not, Jesus, Jesus could care less whether you're important in, to the world or not important. It doesn't matter to him. He's not prejudiced against anyone that way. If someone comes to him, he will respond, no matter who you are. And now, there's certain women it says, had a flow of blood for 12 years. We don't have the details. We just have this long-term illness that has been upon her. And she suffered many things from many physicians. So 
She's gone to doctors, and back in those days, oh boy, the doctors. What, she, she went from doctor to doctor. And she spent all that she had. She was drained financially. She probably had some funds, some pretty good financial funds, for her to be able to go from doctor to doctor. But now, all those funds have been drained. And she had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather worse. So things have just been getting worse and worse for her. And she is drained. She's drained emotionally and physically. Um, She's drained financially, we know that. But what we also know about it is this issue of blood would have made her religiously unclean. So from the time that started, she would have been unable to worship in the synagogue or at the temple. She would be un. She couldn't go to church, you know, in our vernacular. She couldn't. She could. And her friends, if they touched her, if they just hugged her, or, or you know, they got her, or sat where she sat, they would be unclean. And they couldn't go for seven days to worship. They had to go through this cleansing process of washing and so forth that they had to go through. So you can imagine if you're a friend of someone like that, or if you have, have that and you have your friends, at first they might be there sympathizing and caring for you and maybe giving you some advice, encouraging you. But after a little while, they're starting to disappear because every time they come into your home or touch you or what have you, they go through this seven-day purification process before they can, and they can't touch anybody. See, when you're unclean, you touch somebody, then they become unclean. Go to her her family, they could be unclean. So all of that. So you know what's happening? She's being isolated. And when she, when you see her show up to to uh, you know come to Jesus, there's nobody else with her. She's all alone. All of this has happened in this 12-year period, in which she has suffered so deeply. And you can imagine she probably prayed before she's probably prayed she's tried everything every physical you know trying to whatever she could think of to try to find healing she's gone through this i think there's probably people in this room have been going through some things in your life that are along the same lines maybe it's sickness maybe it's just maybe it's it's um relational maybe it has to do with addictions maybe well, you've kind of just bent, and you've tried everything. You know, <clears throat> sometimes, not always, but sometimes God has, he kind of allows everything to drain so that we run out of options. For some, of, some people, some, not all, but some won't come to Jesus won't come to Jesus until they've spent every other option. I mean, they're going to do everything physically they can do before they're ever going to come to Christ. Um, So, it says, when she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Where did she get that idea? I mean, there's nothing in the scriptures that says, listen, if you touch a holy man's clothing, you're, 
you know. By the way, Jesus doesn't have any um, magical clothing on. That's not what's going on here, right? As she's touching his garment, what she's doing is she's trying to touch Christ. See, the garment is on Christ, and she's going after Jesus, and it's the best she knows how if I could just touch to him. And the other gospels say that it's the him that she touches. This just tells us it's the garment, but we know exactly where it was. It was at the bottom. She got on her knees to touch the hem of his garment. And it wasn't the garment that heals. It was Jesus that heals. But the garment was that is that that point of attachment of faith. She, she that point of attachment. That in her mind, if I could touch his garment, I'll be healed. Others had probably had that experience and she's going along with it, but somewhere in the line she has this faith. Now there's a throng of people who are hoping something happens. She is convinced, she has expectation that a miracle is going to happen if I can just get to that garment on Jesus. And a miracle. Listen, it's not the point of attachment, it's the faith in Christ. You understand? The point of attachment changes. Remember years ago, um, some of the old timers would remember this. There was a guy in our church named Bob. Bob Edgar was his name, I can say it. He's gone to be with Jesus since. But Bob, his wife Ava, came to our church. And she would come oftentimes just in tears because Bob was a jerk. <clears throat> really. Um, he was, he, 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 he always, he would just attack her faith all the time and mock it. And she was the kind that was, at that point in her life, she was trying to learn, she was trying to grow in her you know, understanding of Scripture and the Bible. Whenever she had her Bible open, he would mock it. Whenever she would listen to other teachers on the radio or, or on TV, teach words, she, he would just mock them. He would just sit there and mock it, mock her. And he was just miserable, and he wanted to make her miserable. It was that kind of thing. And so she, and we'd pray together, and we'd pray, and pray that God would just touch him. And, but he just was, he, he not, he's not moving at all in the right direction. And, and he got cancer. He came back, and the doctor said, well, it's inoperable, it's terminal, we can't fix it. I, I think it was in his pancreas. I can't remember exactly where it was. I forget. But I know this. He knew time was short. And it didn't seem to change him. He still was this mocking, you know, out of, you know, just, just this angry guy. And he continued. And one day, she was watching uh, Christian television uh, TV, and there's, there's this guy preaching. And she, um, she left. She, she left it on. He, was, he had been sitting there mocking the guy. And she got sick of it. She got in her car and left and left the TV on and he kept watching. And the, the TV preacher said, um, somebody out there, and he named the cancer. So somebody out there has cancer, p- pancreatic cancer, whatever it was, named it. And said, and God wants to heal you. You just reach your hand out. He put his hand up, you know, 
uh, on the screen, and he says, you reach your hand out, and you put your hand on the screen, your TV screen, where mine is. And Bob got up, he put his hand right there, and he was instantly healed. He felt the power of God go through. <clears throat> he ended up going back to the doctor. <clears throat> yeah, <clears throat> going back. The, the cancer was gone. And um, that guy became one of our chaplains from our church to the hospitals um, in Orange County. And some of you who were around remember Bob. And eventually, um, you know, he, he did that for years. But then um, he, God took him home and for something else. He didn't die of the, the cancer. Uh, that was gone. But, he, but God took him home another time later on. But he... He gave him extra years. I think it was like 15 years of time. I can't remember the exact frame, time frame, but gave him more time and, uh, and saved him and all of that. Now, here's the thing. The guy, you know the TV preacher? The guy was a charlatan. He was, I mean, this guy was, he was one of, he's kind of one of those guys you, you think about when you think of the worst kind of, TV kind of preacher. This guy was just a, he, he was a taker. He was, you know, he, he was a faker. All of that. And God still used that. Because see, it's not the point. The TV isn't magical. Right? And that guy certainly wasn't. But Bob's faith was in God at that moment. Even though he had been rejecting God, something was growing in him. Because even though he was hearing, even, even this guy, the charlatan, he wasn't the only one he was listening to. Of course, his wife was playing stuff all the time. The word of God was getting in him, and he started to grow, and faith started to, to sprout in him. And so he gets miraculously healed. It's not the garment. It's Jesus. It's the faith that that person had at that particular time in pressing in and what she had. And the scripture says that she, you know, she came after Jesus. Now, his back was turned. Why? Because he was going somewhere. Jesus was going to heal this little girl. But, but she did not wait for Jesus to come to her. She went to Jesus. I want you to see that. Don't wait for Jesus to come to you. You go to him. You go to him. God wasn't bothered that she interrupted things. He was all for it. The moment he was interrupted, he stopped. And he, 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 he talked with her. So she's on the ground. At, you know, she's, she's on the ground. She touched the hem of his garment. And immediately the scripture says, the fountain of her blood was dried up. She she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. So immediately she responds. She didn't have to go to the doctor. She knows what happened. She is healed. And Jesus immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out. Now that's an interesting phrase. I want you to think about that phrase. That power had gone out. In other words, Jesus didn't go be healed Power was drawn from Jesus by her faith. Is that right? Am I making that up? Is that what that's telling you right there? It's, it was drawn out of her, and he recognizes it. And he felt it. Whatever that feeling is 
All I know, I, 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 all I know is there's times when I've been in prayer meetings where we've been praying for a while and we're you know, praying and, and there seems to be a draw on your energy in that. I don't know if that's, it, it seems like more than that. But whatever Jesus gave out, he, was, he remained full. See, Jesus didn't pour out power and he gets half full. And you like my cornerstone cup? Uh, <clears throat> and, but instead, instead of it pouring out, Jesus remains full. He can pour out and still remain full. Only Jesus could do that, right? He had the spirit without the measure, the scripture says. So he, 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 there's power that comes out, and, and he turns to the crowd, and he asks this really bizarre question, who touched my clothes? And the disciples are kind of bewildered by it. He feels the power left them. A lot of people are surrounding him, but no one really touched him. Not this way. So his disciples said to him, you see the multitude thronging you? How can, why do you say that? You say, who touched me? Everybody. You're on the whole town. But you and I need to touch Jesus differently than the throngs. See, the throngs touched Jesus with hope that something will happen, but this woman touched him with expectation that she would be healed. There's an expectation. If I get to him, he'll heal me. I know, I know he'll heal me. And it says he looked around to see her and he had, uh, who had done this thing, and, but the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. So she's fearful. Why? Because Jairus deserves it. Jairus is somebody, but she's nobody. And she's afraid that this, that <laughs> she, she stole something. She stole something. And I think Jesus would say, please steal something. From me. Please, won't you? I might be going this way, but if you can steal something from me, I like that. <clears throat> I like that. And then Jesus response, this is very telling about faith. First he says to her, who has no name, daughter. He calls her daughter. Your faith has made you well. When I was in Bible school, we had this thing. We, um, you, you come through, um, you know, you, you, you walk through this theology, and back then, even now, I think it's pretty the same way, that in, there's always an attempt to try to um, stay away from the fringes of things, and and one of the fringes is the, the, te- the kind of the extreme faith teaching doctrine. And it's always emphasized as the extreme faith teaching doctrine. You know, name it, claim it kind of thing. And so here's, here's this, this thing. And, and if you would say, 
In fact, I did. I, I remember um, dealing with and confronting this idea where people would say, in fact, you wouldn't say this. You wouldn't say, well, if you have faith, God will heal you. Or you wouldn't say, if you have, um, you know, you, you, your faith has made you well. You wouldn't say that. Because why? Because Jesus makes you well. Isn't that right? Jesus makes you well. So you'd never say your faith has made you well. And I would very much do that until I came across and see, see that Jesus said, well, your faith has made you well. Well, what do you do with that scripture? If Jesus said it, I'm, I didn't put it in there, by the way. Just want you to know. In case you kind of have a bent that you want to swing to the other side really far. But what do you do with that? Jesus said it. Your faith has made you well. Now, okay, but Jesus made her well, yes. But Jesus said her faith has made you well. So don't lessen it. Don't shrink it when Jesus doesn't. In fact, Jesus enlarges it. Jesus wants people to understand that and to live that and to acknowledge the empower, the power of faith in him. Not just faith, faith in him, but to acknowledge that power of faith in him. The faith brought the miracle. Now, when she gets healed, the little girl dies. Timing is something. She gets healed, the little girl dies, and while he's still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house and said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? And as soon as Jesus heard the words that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, listen to this, do not be afraid. Now how are you not afraid? They just told you your daughter died. He says, don't be afraid, only believe. What is he trying to do? He's trying to dispel the fear because fear is faith in a lie. I don't think it's in your notes, but you probably should write this down. Fear is faith in the lie. Now, the lie is that she's dead, and Jesus is going to confront that lie. She's not dead. Oh, yeah, She's dead as people know death. But Jesus uses this term several occasions. When Lazarus dies, he says the same thing as he says uh, about this little girl. Um, And so he, he says, and he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, John, and the brother of James. So Jesus narrows it down. He's got this crowd following, and he says, you guys are gone. Stop thronging me. Go back. I got work to do. He, he gets them out of the way. But he doesn't just get them out of the way. He gets the rest of the disciples. He only takes four with them. And I suspect that these four he's taking with them are the four who have the most amount of faith. And so... They came to the house of rule of the synagogue and, um, and saw atonement and those who wept and wailing loudly. And when he came in, he said to them, why make this commotion and weep? Well, this little girl just died. 
not seem right, like the right thing to do? I mean, we're brokenhearted. But he says this, the child is not dead, but sleeping. Now, when he says sleeping, it's not like we say sleeping. He's using this term because Jesus knows that when a person is dead, they're not really dead. He knows that she is alive, just as Lazarus was alive. And so he's saying she's not dead. And they ridiculed him. And when he put them all outside, I like that. He put them all outside. The unbelievers, the ridiculers, he puts them outside. Why? Because if you're going to believe for a miracle, you need, if you need a miracle, you need to distance yourself from unbelief. Some of you right now are in a... A place in your life, it's you know, maybe it's been long term like this poor lady, and you're expecting a miracle and you are trying to believe for a miracle. What you don't need whispering in your ear all the time are people without faith who aren't going to believe with you. I'm not saying you have to, you get rid of all your friends, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying though, your inner circle of confidence. Of confidence in this, in this arena where you need a miracle? I, I'm oftentimes just surprised. Somebody's having some marriage problems. And you know what they go to? Well, the Bible says, you know, that you're not to put your counsel in unbelievers. And so they go to these, um, their unbelieving work, work friends, saying, I'm having trouble with my marriage. You know, they're kind of complaining and their unbelieving work friend says yeah get rid of the dude you know <clears throat> I wouldn't put up with that or get rid of her you know just toss her off she's not worth the trouble go get yourself somebody else that's what happens the moment you start down that road see you start to get counsel from the ungodly you put yourself in the circle of people who do not believe God for miracles the supernatural is not going to happen and what you need, I mean, you can have all the friends, but that circle where you get your advice, where you share your heart, where you tell people your problems and you're believing, that circle needs to be people who have faith and who are going to believe with you. Jesus took four, four with him, you know, and mom and dad to go into the room with that little girl, and he put everybody else outside. You're not coming in to this arena. Why? Because fear and unbelief has a power. It is, it is a faith in a lie. And if you have people who believe the lie in the circle when you're trying to believe the truth, well, it's not helping you at all. And your best bet is to find where you can hold on to God's promises and God's word and not have the unbelievers constantly you know, speaking into your, your life that way. You need, a, you need a supernatural work of God. You're waiting on God for a miracle. Well, let those people speak into your life. Let those people encourage you. Let those people give you the promises of God that you can stand on, stand, uh, take hold of. So he puts them out. And he took the father and mother and the child and those who were with him, entered into, uh, the, the child, into where the child was lying. 
Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha kumi, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age, and they were overcome with great amazement. But he commanded them strictly not to, that, that, that no one should, um, should know it, to keep it quiet. <laughs> yeah. Right. But what he was trying to do is like saying, hey, dampen this a little bit because I'm not ready to be pronounced as the Messiah yet, as the Christ. Because at that point, there was a, a, a pointed time for him to die for the sins of the world. And that was not the time yet. So oftentimes he would say, hey, listen, just kind of keep it down. There's going to be a time, you know, that it'll be publicly proclaimed. But now is not the time yet. Let me do the work, because if they, and when they didn't obey that, they, they were causing him to have to withdraw. In the meantime, he could do all kinds of miracles until that, at that appointed time. <clears throat> you see these elements of faith? And it's a, it's a, and who hasn't tried, who hasn't actually believed in, and I had a dream. I guess I'll just share it. I didn't share it in first service, but I'll share it. I had a dream about three weeks ago. I'm not a, I'm not a dreamer. I'm, you know, I'm not one who has a lot of, like, spiritual dreams and that kind of stuff. I hope, sorry to disappoint you, but <laughs> I'm just not. But I had this dream, and, and in my dream, I have this pain that you probably have too. I've prayed for thousands of people. I've seen wonderful miracles. But the fact is, I've seen so many people that I prayed for that were sick, and they went away sick. And it breaks your heart. You just don't want to even do it. You know, if I'm going to pray for somebody, I want them to be healed. I don't, you know, it breaks your heart when people have gone through a lot and they're they're, they're desperate and you're praying for them and it doesn't happen when you do it. Now, sometimes wonderfully God will do it and, and it's all in God's hands and you try to put it there but there's a pain there. And that was my dream. I was dreaming about the pain and I said to God, I don't want to do this anymore. I'd soon, just as soon not pray for people than have to feel that pain that they're going through when I pray for somebody and they don't get a miracle. That was my dream. And there's this elderly, godly woman who I was actually overheard me sharing that in my dream. And she said, I have a word for you. And I said, okay, what is it? She said, God says, get off the fence. Okay. I know what that means. I could forget about every scripture in the Bible. There are people who do this, by the way. Every scripture in the Bible that makes promises about the supernatural, the miracle, and they just say it's all gone. It's not all gone. But I could live that. I could, I could pastor that way. We'll just kind of forget about that part, and we'll just all be in supernatural. When we talk about miracles, we won't talk about anything really supernatural, more along the lines of people learning things and, you know, God teaching us stuff. But the real supernatural, let's just kind of put that away. 
And when I woke up, I went, then what side am I got to, I can't be on the fence. I can't be on the fence. I, I don't see everybody healed. I see some people healed. Why not contend for more people having miracles than less? Right? And I'm just telling you, that's the way I'm headed. I'm, I'm, I'm just say I thought you were headed. Yeah, I was. I just kind of in that place, you know. Yeah, I'm headed that direction. I believe God. Let me tell you something else about this story, and I'll close with this. I'm five minutes over. I'll shorten it down so we'll get. Here's a. She, when this woman got sick, that little girl was born. And when this woman got healed, that little girl died. But that little girl had more than a healing, she had a resurrection. We have a generation now that needs a resurrection. Needs a resurrection. And there's a generation that has been sick spiritually. And this generation, by the way, they're Bible believers, right? This woman was a Jewish woman who was a Bible believer. She believed the Old Testament. She was a Bible believer. But she needed a healing, and I'm telling you, the church needs a healing. We need a healing. We need a healing of faith. We need, to, we need to grab a hold of the, the hem of the, uh, of the garment of Jesus. We need to f- grab a hold of Christ. We need to pursue him and grab a hold of him because when this generation, I'm talking about this, I'm n- not this next generation, this generation grabs a hold of Jesus, that generation will have a resurrection. And when I say this generation, I'm not talking about people my age. Right? I'm not talking about people my age. I'm not talking about baby boomers. I'm talking about this generation that needs to be healed. It's those of you, it's, there, there's, there's a generation coming up, and there's a generation that needs, and I'm, I'm, I'll just put a, a time frame on it. If you're 30 and older, you're this generation that needs a healing. For that generation, the 20s and below, that need a resurrection. And I believe that generation could be the generation and probably will be the generation that will usher in the coming of the Lord with revival first. And there's a revival coming. <clears throat> Amen. Yeah, I believe that. Just will you, will you pursue Jesus? Will you grab a hold of his garment? Will you believe wholeheartedly? Because the miracle working God is not finished. He's still doing miracles today. You believe that? Let me give opportunity, and I, we did things a little different this morning for this opportunity. I'm going to ask, we... Um, We've asked our prayer teams to be ready to pray because I...
believe that there are people here right now, you need that, that place of contact. You need that. You need, and, and maybe the place for con, of contact for you is someone who will pray with you and believe with you for that miracle. They'll be, that, they'll be the garment for you in that, in that touch. And some of you right now need that person or that thing to touch to. That my, you know, my friend touched that TV screen for you. Maybe it's just someone who will hold hands and pray with you. And you go in Jesus. So I'm going to ask the prayer team, just come on down right now. Will you come? And um, <clears throat> our leaders, our pastors, and... And if you, if you would like prayer as we worship, we're going to worship. I'm, we'll, let's open our heart and allow Jesus to do what he'd like to do. But if you would like to make that point of contact in faith. If I can agree in faith, I know Jesus is going to heal me. I know Jesus is going to heal my family. I know Jesus is going to set me free from my bondage I want to I want to reach with that kind of faith if you would like that then you come down here let's all stand you can remain seated you don't have to be standing but we're going to worship so if you'd like to stand with us and let's lift our hearts to Jesus in this moment God wants to do a miracle I'm convinced of that do you have expectation why, why don't you make that connection in faith? <clears throat> Let's believe God together, okay?